I think right. you're the expert car counter, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, I'm the uh, I'm the obsessive compulsive guy. I don't have a basement, uh, nor does my mom, unfortunately. So you know, <laughs> I don't live in there and eat hot pockets. But uh, well, you I do eat hot pockets, though, right? I did eat. I did eat. I did eat one hot pocket, and um, <laughs> no, it was it was adequate. The Tesla Q podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended for and should not be used as financial, investment, or trading advice. Research associated with fiscal decisions should be conducted elsewhere. The host of the show possesses no license or credentials to warrant accepting advice based on what is heard on the Tesla Q podcast. Additionally, even though the host and guests may hold positions in companies discussed on the show, they don't have insights into the next time step of the simulation. Therefore, do not make any financial decisions based on the contents of this podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number 18 of the Tesla Q podcast. Today's episode is an interview with Scooter from Twitter. He's a member of the Shorty Air Force slash Shorty Ground Force. Remember, if you'd like to donate to the podcast, go to the Square Cash app and search for Tesla Q podcast. That's TSLAQ podcast. Sorry, it only takes debit cards. I'd like to see some more one and two dollar donations there. Don't feel bad about giving a small amount give what you can save your money for for puts if you'd like and also don't forget to visit the shorty store at evacuationboy.com get your shorty merch there are some nice coffee mugs and even some posters and with that we'll get to the interview all right this is going to be episode number 18 of the tesla q podcast i'm joined today by scooter from twitter scooter welcome hey welcome thanks for having me on uh I know I've been trying nope. for a bit to uh, get on the podcast, so uh, it's pretty exciting. Thanks, thanks for giving me some time. I appreciate it. No problem. Your Twitter handle is James Santelli one if people want to look, look for you. Yep, that uh, is correct. So I guess we'll go ahead and jump right into it. What is your Tesla Q origin story or your Tesla following or Elon Musk following origin story? Okay. Oh, boy. So i uh, been sort of a retail investor for a while, and uh, I, I like to talk about a story like way back in probably 2014 or 15 time frame, and there was this company called uh, GTAT. It's GTATQ now, but uh, they sold glass for Apple iPhones, and um, they were valued like something ridiculous. I don't remember. I think it was like multiple billions of dollars, and all they did was manufacture this stupid sapphire that was synthetic, and uh, turns out they owed Apple a lot of money, and Apple was under no contract to take the glass, and they went bankrupt. Um, and, and I, I was turned into a bag holder like really, really quickly there. Um, so you were you were long this company? Yeah, I, I was long this company because uh, okay. my my uh, a, a ex family relative uh, told me that this was going to be a great company, and like an idiot, I listened to them. And uh, yeah, man, I lost a crap ton of money, but it kind of got me started on like the fraudulent slash way overvalued companies that couldn't make bond payments, and. That kind of got me looking into Tesla a little bit, and and then you know it's a wildly overvalued car company. They make nowhere near what Ford and GM do, and they're uh, very insanely valued. And that was back in probably January of 2018, and that was around the same time I started reading some Montana Skeptic, and that got me into Twitter, and then I started following Tesla charts and Mark, and you know, and and, and sort of all those guys who were from the start saying like, man, this company's full of shit. Um, so that that's kind of my origin story. Uh, so, it was directly Tesla related, not Solar City or not SpaceX or anything like that. But, no, it, but was, since- it, was, it was pretty directly Tesla, um, and part of it's like the insanity of trying to call a bubble. But I also remember seeing like the video of you know him shooting a 
Model S into outer or whatever it was, a Roadster into outer space. Yeah, I think it was a Roadster. And everyone's like going crazy, and it's like the dude like put his car on a rocket. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of cool, but like, what's the big deal? Like that didn't accomplish anything major. Like well, it showed the rocket works. I actually think that it it did serve a purpose for him, and it was in a way it was maybe one of the best car commercials that's ever been produced. Very yeah. expensive, of course, but uh, and Tesla doesn't pay for advertising. But in that case, indirectly, they did. So my view is actually that that was a good move by him to get tons of eyeballs on his vehicles without paying directly for advertising. But obviously, putting the the rocket on there, or putting the car on the rocket, costs some money. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. I mean, it did get a lot of eyeballs. So in terms of that, it was it was a very useful thing. But in terms of like, why are people so excited about this? And I just yeah. couldn't get it. I mean, it's cool. Like, shooting rockets is cool. Shooting a car into space, I guess, has never been done. So, like, that's cool, I guess. But, you know, what is what is this doing to advance the transition to sustainable energy, which is their mission? What is this doing to, you know, really anything productive? And I sh- it shows the rocket works. So I guess there's that. And that's important from landing contracts kind of perspective. So was there a, a particular financial metric or bond issuance that, that drew your attention initially? Just reading uh, Montana Skeptic's articles on Seeking Alpha was really uh, enlightening for me. Um, he talked a lot about, you know, kind of the balance sheet analysis and how they didn't have cash flow at the time and how that was going to drive them into into the ground if, uh, if they didn't get things turned around. And it was it was really interesting. And, you know, you combine the appearance of, you know, hyper growth and overvaluation and underlying it is they're not making money because they're not selling the mass-produced car that they said they'd make. And uh, it, it seemed like a pretty reasonable short. And um, I started in with a pretty pretty small and cautious position. And uh, I did some like some spread options. And I did some, uh, you know, both both covered and uncovered. And, and so I had, a, I had a, a pretty effective hedging strategy in the beginning. And now I'm kind of uh, in, a, in a balls out buying just as many put options as I can all the time, which hasn't always been lucrative. Um, in fact, it's actually cost me quite a bit of money. But So it's evolved. Yeah. And, of course, the last two quarters, they have shown that they're cash flow positive, which the bulls would say, oh, they've turned the corner and now they're going to be cash flow positive and profitable from now on. But from what we're seeing inventory-wise, that doesn't, doesn't seem to be the case from yes. a lot of our perspectives. Yes, a hundred percent. And you could talk kind of about how the the cash flow and and really they made they made money. They were profitable in the last two quarters. Some of that was through the grace of subsidies for certain. Yeah, the um, GHG credits and the yeah zero energy vehicle credits. Exactly. So I think I think those two things certainly helped them get over the line a bit. But but really the inventory story is 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 there too and. And that kind of brings us, you know, from my origin story, I, I can start talking about the shorty uh, Air Force and the shorty Ground Force and, and what kind of got me into that. Yeah. So what what did get you into that? I All think right. you're the expert car counter, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, I'm the, uh, I'm the obsessive compulsive guy. I don't have a basement, uh, nor does my mom, unfortunately. So, you know, <laughs> I don't live in there and eat Hot Pockets, but... Uh, well, you I do eat Hot Pockets, though, right? I did eat, I did eat, I did eat one Hot Pocket and... Um, <laughs> No, it was it was adequate. Adequate. Uh, That's a very, very high rating. Yeah, it was. <laughs> well, uh, maybe maybe a little too candid. Um, yeah. So boy, the shorty, the shorty, the shorty Air Force and the shorty Ground Force and all that stuff. That was that was some pretty wild times. Because um, 
I had like some time off work in uh, July, so I was really able to get on Twitter and you know validate my hypothesis of like, hey, am I investing too much money unreasonably in this company or against this company? Um, by the way, I should mention you know none of the, none of the things I should say should be considered as financial advice because uh, I don't. I'm not a financial advisor or anything like that, so I, I don't know if I've made that disclaimer yet. So before I talk about like whatever my strategy is, um, which is really shoveling money into like a furnace, um, I'm just <laughs> letting people know that uh, don't yes, don't take uh, anything I say for, for that. Yeah, that can be your disclaimer, and we've got the yeah the blanket but, one for the overall podcast as well. So blanket one, okay. Um, all right, yeah. Sorry, I get distracted easily sometimes. Um, so talking about the uh, shorty air force, shorty ground force. Yeah, so I remember um, it was probably like early to mid July timeframe of 2018, and um, that was right when you know the Model Three production ramp was really getting into full swing, and they were starting to build a lot of cars. And there was that one day they produced 5,000 factory gated cars, and boy, that's really excited. And then you parse the words out and you say like factory gated. Well, what what does that mean? They didn't sell them. I mean, I guess they made cars, and then that later Business Insider article would come out and say up to 84% of them required rework, and that was that was pretty crazy. But like, where are these cars going? They're going somewhere. Oh yeah, so uh, someone, I don't remember who it was, found an ad for a security guard in a newspaper, and it was like, hey, do you want to be a part-time security guard and, you know, look after a bunch of cars in parking lots? And the address... Um, was for the lot that they found in Lathrop. And in the picture, there were like rows upon rows upon rows of Teslas. Um, and it's and it started there for me. And we said, I, I think it was uh, Machine Planet said like, hey, I've got an airplane, I can fly over that site. Uh, and so he did in mid-July, uh, early July maybe. And like, holy crap, there's, you know, three or 4,000, however many cars just sitting out and that just made no sense to me and mm-hmm. um, I've got I've got a little bit of you know obsessive compulsive disorder so I like to you know count things because so I was like I, I can look at these cars I can you know sit here and have a glass of booze and just count cars all day um, and so I did and I put some you know cute yellow boxes around it with some you know comments in the margins and posted it and it got some likes and I think it provided some illumination on hey, how are they running this thing out in Lathrop? So Paul took the pictures and I counted the cars that were in the pictures and that was, that was kind of how it worked and that got, that got some eyeballs on it. I don't know, maybe, maybe it inspired people to start looking around and probably in August timeframe, September timeframe, there were a lot of people who started finding their local you know, Tesla random abandoned parking lot and uh, started taking pictures of it too. So. It wasn't anything really like organized necessarily, but there was there was a lot of data coming in on t- on Twitter of just all these parking lots, and from there it's like, well, we've we've got a lot of data on on Twitter. I mean, just a just a fantastic amount of data, and someone can analyze this. So uh, that got me to start my sort of uh, storage site project, which was like, hey, people have posted a lot of these storage sites all around the world. Um, do we know? where these are can we get an can we get like the location of them and can we get like a count of the cars and what day the picture was taken and if and if you do all that then and you can do it in a short time frame too 
then you can have a pretty good uh, snapshot of uh, how many how many cars the company has in inventory at a time. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of those aerial photos from Lathrop, Lathrop or however you say it, if I'm not mistaken, I think those ha- may have factored into Tesla's decision to build an enclosed distribution facility in Lathrop so that they could better hide the vehicles from view. I don't know what the plans are for that facility, but yeah, it seems it, that it may have been influenced by the fact that there are people with the ability to take aerial photos. It, it may have been, and I've heard some uh, less well-informed bulls on Twitter say, you know, this new Lathrop site or Lathrop, hard A, soft A, who knows. Um, this new site on, on Lathrop is going to be where they, uh, you know, build the Model Y, and it's like, well, that seems pretty crazy and ill-informed, so... Um, I don't think that's the case. If you look back to, I've got my old uh, my old graphics up. If you look back to mid July of 2018, they were they were already laying the foundation for the large covered facility to the right or to the whatever direction that is north of where the um, where the cars were stored. So I think it's I think it's probable that they had planned to put that there the whole time. Um, okay, so it may have not been influenced by the we found shorty Air Force. Yeah, probably not. Okay. But if it was, that would be kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, and a lot of those cars had the infamous Lathrop wax on them, all the dustiness from being stored out in the elements. Oh, yeah, but, the lemon uh, lot. Yeah. But uh, with the delivery numbers and the financial numbers that have come out for quarter three and quarter four, it seems like they may have gotten rid of a fair number of those vehicles. I don't know if there's any still hanging out there waiting to find a, a friendly owner. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure they are. Um, I'm not sure there are still some out there. And, you know, the, the problem for the uh, Shorty Air Force and Shorty Ground Force is, has evolved in a lot of ways. Because when, you know, when we first started out, it was kind of a controlled problem. Um, I mean, I think uh, uh, there was a user way back in July. I think it, I think it was uh, I Spy Tesla was his handle. Um, and mm-hmm. he, had, like, he had a camera set up along the tent uh, in Fremont. And like he was observing the production that came out of the Fremont tent, and it was like near zero, which um, was kind of interesting. And then you got to like Skabushka and his uh, daily production totals and all that sort of stuff. So you had a couple of sources saying like, "Hey, your uh, your 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 number is going into your uh, inventory tank, so to speak." If you look at it like a differential equation, um, like your numbers going into the tank are, are a known quantity right now, and and it's pretty low. So then you've got a tank, which you know is your storage size across the country, and then your goes outs are your sales figure, and you can figure out the tank size, um, which which the shorty Air Force, shorty Ground Force did for a period, I think. Um, but now we've hit the point where you know they've sold over a hundred thousand cars, um, some maybe to themselves, who knows? Uh, but they've sold over a hundred thousand cars, and that that problem of looking at inventory is. I think less of, less reliable of an indicator than it used to be. And it's also a lot harder now because you have the cars that are being shipped to Europe and China. Before it was only the US and Canada, but now we've got a few markets, a few more markets being sold into. Yeah, that's so that's very true as well. Um, and I I think right now I think the two kind of useful things that that we can capture is the shorty air force, shorty ground force. Um, Parking lot truthers. If if you listen to some of the uh, the paid bots who are out there to try and dox and you know find us, um, but the the uh, 
the thing we can focus on now is um, I think measuring like the sale rate. Um, I think LA Tri-Life has been doing an incredible job of this uh, at uh, Marina Del Rey in, uh, in California because that used to be one of their most profitable, highest volume sites. And it's slowed by, you know, literal orders of magnitude in its, in its sales rate. So that's fascinating for me is that the, uh, the demand in the United States, once the uh, $7,500 tax credit at the turn of the new year went away, the, the demand has just dropped. And I didn't predict that. Uh, and I don't think it's fully hit the uh, accounting of the company yet. But I think that's uh, enormous. And I'm not sure that the sales in, in Europe or China are going to necessarily offset it either. Yeah, the the big number, of course, was 6,500 or maybe almost 6,600 per Edmonds estimate. The 6,500 was from inside EVs, and that was for January U.S. deliveries, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and that, of course, compares that compares to like 24, 25,000 for December and September the end of quarter three and end of quarter four. And of course the bulls point out that the early months of the quarter have lower deliveries than the later months, but it was still a huge, huge drop off. Yeah. There's, then, there's a lot of truth to that. I was going to say that uh, fly for dat is the Twitter handle has been estimating European orders. And there's something in the range of like 17 to 18,000 total orders for Europe so far, if I'm not mistaken. And there's been some other research done of Chinese orders, and that totals, I believe, only in the hundreds for Model 3s so far. So those order numbers aren't quite going to make up for <laughs> yeah. the the drop to 6,500 in the U.S. So Yeah, oh yeah, by, by no means will it. And the, the great thing about car carriers is that they move big and they move slow, and they transmit on AIS, so they're very detectable, um, and, and you can kind of track that, and that's a that's a known quantity. You know there are no more than 6,500 cars, because I think that's what the max capacity of like a really big roll-on, roll-off car carrier is, and you know that it's eh, probably in the range of about 1,500 to 2,000 cars that they're shipping at a time. So when you take that into account, they're, they're not moving cars particularly fast, but they are moving them steadily. Um, and again, I don't think it's at any volume that's going to make up for the enormous drop that we're seeing in the United States in terms of sales. And there's now the question, of course, of the the workers at Zeebrugge, or however you say that port in Belgium. There was some kind of a strike and a contract change. So I guess we'll see if they have people to, to prep the cars for delivery in Europe as well. Yeah, I've read a little bit about that. Um, I kind of, like we talked about a little bit earlier, I'm, I'm sort of on a, a different time in the East Coast, so I wake up in the mornings and I have to catch up on everything that happened during the day. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I understand there's sort of a strike in that um, I think Tesla had 100 people or so that they uh, had planned to prepare the cars, and now those people all got fired and they're just going to prepare the cars at the service and delivery centers or something. Does that sound right? Something to that effect. Uh, it was... 100, 100 workers that weren't direct Tesla employees and the contract got canceled in some fashion. So I think they're going to try to use their own internal employees to, to do the work. Some people had speculated that, you know, being a direct Tesla employee 
Tesla can maybe force them to work more hours than, than a contractor employee. But that was speculative, so maybe not true. But just in general, what do you see as the overall implications for Tesla's inventory levels? So for inventory levels in the United States, I think just based on, you know, and again, it's, it's, all, it's all in a way uh, pretty anecdotal, but I think it's some pretty, pretty solid reporting that's, that's pretty reliable. I think the inventory in the United States is not shrinking at the rate that it needs to be. Or it's not, you know, um, I think their inventory is building. I think they are making more cars than they are selling right now. Um, I think that anyone who really wanted to get a Tesla with the full subsidy has gotten it. And, uh, and because of that, the, the demand cliff that we've talked about is very real. Um, so from there, I think uh, the things that we could look for is that uh, Tesla cuts its production um, numbers. So they go from producing whatever it was, a thousand a day, if you believe, you know, reports uh, from highly biased, bullish websites. Um, it, it's probably somewhere lower um, and, and probably, honestly, in an effort to conserve cash. So I think inventory is low in the U.S. Or sorry, I think inventory is high in the U.S. I think it's going to continue to rise in the U.S. They're going to ship things to Europe and that's probably going to be successful at first and then we'll encounter something where demand will be exhausted pretty rapidly. And I think um, in China, they're just going to have a really rough time selling cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my guess is that Europe demand will probably probably start tailing off by April, April or May at the latest, maybe. Yeah. But we'll, we'll see how they manage things between now and then. So what other items did you have on your notes to talk about? Okay, so I want to talk about uh, Shorty Air Force, Shorty Ground Force Origins. I think we did that. I think we talked a little bit about the inventory. Those were, those were kind of the, the big things. There's like all sorts of random tangents I could go off of, but a lot of it's uh, not really in my, in my swim lane. So what, what are your thoughts about all the Tesla bulls that suggest that it's a waste of time to be counting cars or scoping out inventory lots? What, what are your thoughts on that? That is a great question. Um, I think that you can't know something until you go and look at it. Um, and you may only get an anecdote, you know, I think, uh, Ross Gerber said something, you know, I'm quoting famous, uh, investment advisors right now. Ross Gerber said something about, I go into McDonald's and there's, you know, everyone around them has an iPad and an iPhone and an Apple is the future. And anecdotally that may be true. Um, or at least in that snapshot. And then if you go to stores all across the country and you look and people are not using apples, well then I think that would disprove your hypothesis. Hey, I think there's a lot of demand for these cars. Well, I've got a parking lot here in you know the middle of Los Angeles that's packed to the gills, that's right near uh, you know a SpaceX and a boring company property, and uh, these cars don't have license plates, they're not sold, they're not registered to anyone, so what are these cars doing here? Well, okay, that's one, that's one anecdote, but then you go, across the country to Colorado and there's a ton of cars and you go to Boston uh, like Crow Point Partners has uh, reported on and there's a, there's a ton of cars and shorting is fun. Another awesome user uh, has gone to and places all over New Jersey and, and New York. 
and there's still a ton of cars everywhere. So when you go to all these places and you, and you start seeing like... Dallas with Kofefi Capital. Oh, yeah. Dallas He's with Kofefi Capital. Um, new kid there, there's on, a the, on the ground force. Yeah, there's there's a ton, ton of shorty ground force guys. And I mean, I, I can't do justice by uh, calling them all out because like the work they've done is incredible. Like, I don't know, I, I, drink, I drink tequila and I count cars in the parking lot and then I put in a PowerPoint. Um, and like that's that's my contribution to the cause. I also made a spreadsheet that was kind of useful once upon a time. Um, but these guys like live near these these places and they go to the delivery centers or service centers and they take pictures and um, it's incredibly useful information. And when you aggregate it, that's where the real benefit comes in because you go from having you know one or two anecdotes to now you're developing a, a trend, now you're developing a pattern. And we saw that in mid January we people were going out and taking pictures of all the lots and saying, these cars aren't moving. They're not moving cars. If they're not moving cars, then the demand is going away. And that was Operation Snapshot, right? That was Operation Snapshot. And that was, that was a really, really great idea that uh, we kind of, we kind of had it back in October timeframe. Like we're getting, we're getting pictures. And by we, I mean me and my cat, uh, <laughs> uh, but we're getting pictures of the cars and we're getting pictures of the parking lots and we're able to like aggregate that into how many cars are there over how many days. Um, but like when we did that sort of, and this time by we, I mean the shorty ground force did that blitz around uh, New Year's where they just went out and everyone was taking pictures and just giving, giving, me, giving me tons of awesome data to use. Um, and we turned that into like, hey, here's a, a realistic inventory. And I think it was about some like 4,000 or so cars um, yeah, that were actually lots. counted. Mm-hmm. That we actually counted. And then if you include the lots that LA TriLife found in Los Angeles, that number gets a little bit higher, probably in the realm of, you know, seven or 8,000, I think, because uh, he found quite a few in, yeah, in and, the California And there were, there were definitely some known uh, Tesla dealer locations that weren't included in, the, in that Operation Snapshot spreadsheet. Yeah, also true. Mistaken. Yeah, so... Yeah, seven seven thousand plus seemed to be a pretty good estimate from the beginning of January. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, desire for the Model Three is insanely high. It's just that uh, demand was not, and it's because the, the car is too expensive. So I think I think predictively, what's going to happen is uh, if we were talking about how in January uh, Operation Snapshot went out and identified that there's a very large inventory of the cars. Um, probably caused by a slowly lowering demand. And then um, as the shorty ground force types kept taking pictures uh, and posting it, you know, through mid-January we saw these cars are not moving. Uh, They're all staying on their lots. They're not going anywhere. They're not getting sold. Um, And, you know, everyone had like their favorite VIN or something with like, you know, the notes written on the glass and in marker of like this car is broken and if you turn it on, you know, it won't work, um, which is which is pretty funny. But it shows that the cars aren't moving, um, and that happens when demand drops off a cliff. So we saw that, and I was kind of wondering if you know the mouthpieces for uh, for Tesla, like Inside EVs, if they were going to report that faithfully. Um, and I was I was actually really surprised when they did, and they said like we didn't sell anywhere near as many cars. And they had the bullish spin on it, which was like, well, you know, sales are always slow at the beginning of the year. Yes, that's always the case for January. 
Which is which is true. Um, and I saw some. I think it was charts. Uh, te- I think it was Tesla charts put out some some good stuff. Like, yeah, but you know, demand will drop by thirty or forty percent, maybe, but not by like seventy or eighty percent, which is what yeah, we. Saw. I, I'm thinking it was in the twenty something percent range for other manufacturers and seventy seventy something percent for the Model Three. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, That's- only about only about three times as much. No big yeah. deal. <laughs> yeah, it's only three times as many cars that they're that they're not selling, um, and they don't have model years. So it's not like people are holding out for you know the 2019 Founders Edition Model Three. It's it's just going to be that same shitty Model Three that was collecting dust in Lathrop. Um, that's been sitting there for the last six months, uncharged in some abandoned lot in the middle of wherever United States. So. I think that's going to be a, a barrier to people wanting to buy a brand new Tesla because it's not going to be brand new. It's going to have been sitting out getting a, I think it was plug in FUD called it lot rot yesterday, um, <laughs> which, which was a pretty funny term for me. Yeah, all the, I think one of my favorite parts of all the pictures or most ironic parts is seeing the diesel generators in these inventory lots that are necessary because otherwise the cars would just, not have any electricity left in their batteries and wouldn't be able to start. It's yeah. such clean energy from those diesel generators. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, if you want this podcast to go on for another hour, you could start, you could get me worked up on the hypocrisy of, uh, you know, a green car company that mines some of the like heaviest metals in the world. Uh, and you know, who knows where they get them from or by what means they're extracted from the earth. But, uh, you know, you could talk about that and how, yeah, they have to run diesel generators, which are not very efficient, uh, just to keep their cars powered. And by the way, their cars lose energy just sitting there. So that's not very energy efficient either. They lose how much energy while they sit there? So I don't know exactly just, how much energy. Just that they lose energy while they yeah, sit there? Just that they lose energy. And especially in cold weather, their range goes down a significant amount. Yeah, the the denial of the the degree to which the range is degraded by the cold weather is another kind of funny thing to, to see the bulls try to dance around oh, yeah. when it's, I mean, there's so many clear, so many anecdotes, which yes, they're anecdotes, but there was also, there's also been some actual studies done by AAA and there was at least one other one. I don't remember who, who from, but that have shown clear degradation from the cold weather, but they try to try to wash that away somehow. Yeah. And, I mean, it's it's just a function of electric batteries or of batteries rather. I mean, that's that's just what happens to batteries. And the cars weren't tested rigorously in cold weather because they needed to get the car to market, or the company would go bankrupt. And if it had gone bankrupt, I, I would have made a lot of money, and that would have been really cool. And that hasn't happened yet, so I guess I'll keep waiting. <laughs> so, in general, you would say that it is a good use of your time to count cars in parking lots. In general. Well, I don't know what a good use of my time is anymore, but uh, it's fun for me still. I mean, I'm not paid by the Koch brothers to go out and count cars or anything. I do this because it's, it's a hobby and it's kind of fun. Um, it's kind of fun playing like a detective game in a lot of ways with this company because... I Yeah, I get that sense from a lot of Tesla Q. It's like you got people that are searching through filings, trying to find little nuggets of information here and there. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting to me because... 
you can get people from all different uh, skill sets, um, people who know accounting, people who know car manufacturers. Like the Phoenix 10 interview you did I, was really enlightening for me, and it made me realize, hey, this guy knows a lot about cars um, and, and design and manufacture of cars, and that, that really taught me a lot. Uh, and listening to Montana Skeptic, that interview, and like he knows a lot about you know finance and, and balance sheets and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and, and lawyer items since and lawyer items out. yeah yeah and Le- legal int- items I should say legal and it's very interesting when you get all these different people who look at a company from all different aspects and they all look from their different aspect and they say I don't think what they're doing is right and yeah. many different angles that all point to the same conclusion yeah, and I, I remember there was a one Twitter user, I think her name was like Beth Carvin. Her username was Beth Carvin, and just a very nice lady who worked out in Hawaii, I think. I think she lives on Oahu or something. Um, and I'm not, I'm not doxing her. Like, this is information she puts out on Twitter, because she's just a normal person. And at the end of Q3, when Tesla was asking its fans to come out and help sell cars, uh, she was like, this is a huge labor relations issue. Like, you can't just bring people in to do a job and not pay them. They have to be counted as temp workers. And, you know, like, I, I had never heard of this lady before. She has no Tesla Q interest, as far as I could tell. And she was just like, what you're doing is not in accordance with, you know, established norms. And, mm-hmm. like, any aspect of this of this organization just stinks to anyone who knows about on that- the specialty area. Yeah, and on that same note, you know, you've got the you got the video that was, of course, subsequently taken down of the bird box challenge where the dude had engaged autopilot and was wearing a blindfold in the driver's seat, which later got taken down, of course. And you've got the video from just a week or two ago that showed showed the uh, the little touchscreen in the Tesla, and it had just done a software update. And the odometer rolled back from like 76,000 miles to like 75,000 miles. And of course, when I saw that, I was like, that's going to get deleted at some point. So I put out a request (laughs) saying, hey, can somebody save this? Because it's definitely going to get deleted. And of course, it later got deleted, but we did get it saved beforehand. So that's that's another thing that that Tesla Q does is documenting these items. And we're, we're getting better at it. Obviously, like you said, you don't get paid by the Koch brothers. I don't get paid directly by the Koch brothers or or indirectly or by hot pockets or anything <laughs> i just take i take whatever generous donations people provide via the square cash app but we're getting better at organizing big piece of evidence for that is teslaq.org which just launched oh and yeah this podcast i would like to think is a little bit of that although i can be kind of rambly at times and there's no set schedule for when i'm releasing these or anything but it's adding a little bit of organization to the, the whole Tesla Q effort. So regardless of what Twitter does with suppressing accounts or, or outright banning accounts, I feel like we're finding other avenues that will be able to survive regardless of what Jack Dorsey does with Twitter yeah. and helping Elon out. But sorry, I, yeah. I went on a little rant there. That's it. No, that's okay. You're absolutely right. Um, I think I think all data uh, is good data. Yeah. So I think um, in in terms of 
what what people are going out and finding and posting on on Twitter. All data is good data. Uh, pictures of lots are, are great because it helps highlight that there may be a demand issue. And you know what? If people go out and take pictures of lots and all the cars are suddenly gone and holy crap, they've just sold all their inventory, well then that's good data too, right? Because you can use that to guide your uh, assumptions about the company and assumptions about their cash flow. And if you get all that, then uh, that's good. Lack of transparency within this company is is incredible. I've never seen a company that doesn't report numbers as often or report numbers as uh, infrequently, um, report production values, uh, and that's that's very weird. So any light that we can shed on, on the operations of this company is very useful. And it's not useful for me because I'm short the company. It's useful for everybody. It's useful for bulls who want to make sure that the money that they're investing in this company is being uh, well-guarded as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fact, the fact that they would rather suppress the gathering of data is just mind-boggling to me a little bit. Yeah, there's there's a lot of truth in that. And I think if they didn't have anything to hide, they would not suppress the data. They would lay their books open, they would report in a timely manner with audited financial results, and you know, the fact that their chief financial officer uh, retired in the middle of, at the end of a conference call and didn't allow for any questions should be a huge red flag to a lot of people. Um, because it was just unannounced and rushed and, and pretty shoddy. And they haven't released their end-of-year finances yet. Well, they, they've announced them. They, they haven't released the audited 10K yet. My guess Correct. is it'll come late this upcoming Friday, February 22nd, or late on Friday, March 1st. One of those two dates are my top two guesses. All right, I'll, I'll pin that and, and try and remember. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. And then, you know... One of the fun things about uh, shorting this company uh, for me is that I think there's a lot of momentum that can happen all at once, for better or for worse. Um, I think funding secured was, you know, a bad thing initially, but turned into a good thing because it surged the price and made for a pretty obvious short because Elon was lying. And I think a lot of the people right now who say, well, they've got $3.7 billion in cash, which is what I think they reported on their uh, unaudited financial results. Um, Correct. I think, I think, I'm speculating. They probably have much less than that actually on hand. Yeah, there there have been many many analyses done based on their interest income that show approximately like 1.5 to 1.7 billion dollars average across the whole quarter. So, yeah, that's one one data point to keep in mind. Yeah. And and that's really interesting to me because that means, you know, they haven't accurately reported how much cash they have on hand. And if that causes a big surprise in the downward direction, well, then they, uh, you know, then they're in a the zone of insolvency after they pay these bonds. And then, you know, pretty, pretty crazy things could happen. Again, not investment advice, just kind of a, a hypothesis from, from me and, uh, you know, I, I am, you know, long Reynolds rap, so I, I have a lot of tinfoil to wear. <laughs> Had a lot of sales with that Starhopper in Boca Chica, too. Oh, my gosh, yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that thing. I don't, even, I don't even know what that is. I, I can't even begin to comment on that. 
Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of things that could be said about it. Wasn't quite designed for the wind, apparently. Yeah, there's there's been some fascinating work on on that whole uh, Starhopper timeline from a uh, EV Defender uh, user. EV Defender has been really interesting with his uh, with his timeline reporting, and I'd love I'd love to get his timelines rolled into the Tesla Q dot org website somehow. Uh, if he or uh, you know the people who run that site are interested. Yeah, he's definitely been doing a great job. I know he started off well. That account's only been there, been out there since either the beginning of January or very end of December. But the prior account run by the same person or people being kicked off of Twitter was part of what prompted me to start this podcast. Just to just so that we would have some documentation of some of the timeline of of things going on that's outside of Twitter and not controlled by Twitter. But the as the EV defender account there's been some really good timelines put against the stock price chart but then over the last week or two they've been putting these suntory presentations together which are outside of twitter but and lay lay the timelines out and the stories out in in a much better manner so yeah yeah, i agree that that's some some very good work that's been done there yeah and again, it's, it, it kind of goes to the magic of, uh, you know, using the Internet and especially using Twitter to kind of aggregate data along. Like, that's that's some great stuff. And, uh, you know, it's not as uh, it's not very mainstream. Um, I think if it were mainstream, uh, it would it, it may open a lot of eyeballs to the fact that there are some less than honorable things going on uh, within this company. Um, mm-hmm. But the narrative is, is being very tightly controlled right now. And uh you know, that's a real shame because a lot of people are going to be surprised when this company uh, doesn't have all the money it claims to have, uh, when this company has a lot of those federal investigations that come around and a lot of the uh, civil liability that they incurred from the 420 funding secured. All that's going to come together and it's going to surprise a lot of people who are along this company. And, uh, you know, they're not listening to us at their own peril, really. Like, yeah. at least hedge. <laughs> At least hedge a little yeah. bit. Sell, sell some cover yeah. calls. Just this past week, I've made some observations about you know the the time frame of things going from us talking about them in Tesla Q Twitter to actually making their way into mainstream media articles. The one particular thing is this NHTSA data that took 641 days to be released, which I I ranted about a week ago on episode yeah. 16. Uh, and I was, and the day before on Saturday, the, uh, what, whatever day that was, let's see, I do math, February 9th, I think I was ranting about it on Twitter in the afternoon. And then finally last week during the week, there was an article on the drive by Ed Niedermeyer. There was an article that made it on, onto Bloomberg from Ryan Bean or, or something to that effect. I believe there was another, a really, really excellent article by Russ Mitchell the focus of that article was more on just the fact that for self-driving, we need transparency from the NHTSA just so that we as citizens can be confident that that's being regulated properly. So his, his focus of his article wasn't even directly on the fact that it was Tesla data that was involved. It was more just that the NHTSA has to be transparent to ensure public trust. Then that article of course, was on the LA Times because that's who Russ Mitchell works for. Yep. But then I think it got reposted on the San Francisco Gate, which I don't know if that's a paper newspaper or just online. 
I assume it's paper, but I'm not sure about that. But it I, it was the same article because it was by Russ Mitchell. But just yeah. seeing the timeline of of when we could rant about it on Twitter on Saturday Sunday, I ranted about it on my podcast here on Sunday, and then I think the first article was out maybe Tuesday, or maybe late Monday. And then more articles Wednesday Thursday maybe even one on Friday. So just seeing the timeline of, of some of that was very enlightening to me. And uh, we may see some more instances of that in coming weeks. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And um, I think uh, for, for reporters, you have to, you can definitely get the attention of reporters on, on Twitter. I mean, I think it was uh, in probably September timeframe, Neil Baudette, uh, with the New York Times, reached out to me and uh, Machine Planet and a couple other people um, to just kind of ask about like all these pictures we were taking of uh, you know random lots, um, and and it was an interesting story for him. And you know we presented some hard data, and if you can give hard data to to reporters, that's you know contrary to what the uh, what the spin is and what the what the messaging is about a company, um, they're going to report pretty faithfully, I think, and and that's that's really good for a transparency point of view um and it's not Pravda it's you know it's uh it's it's people people finding out a nugget of truth and then and then publicizing it hey this company has four thousand cars sitting in inventory in the middle of California when they're supposed to have unlimited demand why is that uh hey this company doesn't have you know accurate autopilot data and what is the NHTSA doing about it um and to be fair to the NS, to the you know, to the safety people, uh, it's kind of a, a new paradigm. So they probably don't know what they don't know in terms of uh, how to report on on this stuff yet. So they they definitely they definitely delayed in releasing information, but at the same time they, they probably don't know what to do with it. So so that that may be something to consider. Government employees are not always uh, the most efficient at, at disseminating and figuring out new ways of doing things. Yeah. In in this case, though, it was seemed to be just a, a fairly clear misinterpretation of the data that they had. And and that's laid out in the report from Randy Whitfield about all that. Uh, but back to the topic of reporters. One thing that that we as Tesla Q should keep in mind is that even though reporters may be aware of some things, they still have to have their stories go through their editors and their editorial boards and everything. So while they may be aware of a story, they may not be able to publish it immediately. There may be some delay or or they may not be able to publish it for some other reason. So that's something to keep in mind, but so yeah. so be nice be nice to reporters on Twitter, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um point point them to things but don't try to give them assignments because that's not your job. It's <laughs> not their job to take your assignments. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the better your data is, the more uh, attention you're going to get for 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 um, from a reporter, and it it can go it can go good places. Um, if you have something that is worth reporting on, uh, they they will key in on that and they will pick it up. Yes, and and one of the key goals I think of the TeslaQ.org site was to provide the quick ability for reporters to use some of those images in their stories without having to get permission or anything. If I'm not mistaken. That is, that is true. Um, Tesla is definitely there to 
take information that is uh, crowdsourced and and get it out there kind of by the fastest way we can. So it's 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 done a lot of good in that sense. Also, it's off Twitter, um, which sometimes uh, has a history of uh, censoring people who make claims against Tesla's uh, benevolence. <laughs> what? Tesla's not fully <laughs> benevolent? I thought no. they wanted to save, save the world and give us all unicorns and rainbows and puppies and kittens. Frunk, frunk yeah. puppies and kittens. Yeah, the demand for unicorns is incredibly high. It's just that nobody can afford one. Um, exactly. But they, I, they, they poop out rainbow ice cream if i'm not mistaken yeah there's zero emissions um they're they're very yeah well uh any other final items that you'd like to mention before we wrap this thing up uh final items i would like to say uh you know thank you to everyone who works uh the tesla q beat uh shorty air force shorty ground force obviously are, are the people who i work with most closely um the people who do all the other reporting on financials on business transactions, all that sort of stuff is just incredibly useful. Um, and y- you know, you might be a guy who's halfway bombed sitting at your dinner table, and uh, you find something of value that you can contribute. Um, and for me, that was the storage sites thing. And there's still data out there. I think there's still value in getting pictures of lots, um, even if even if it only shows that the demand is still very low. Um, and you know keep at it like that's that's all i can say is just hey keep keep it what you're doing on, on on tesla q and inshallah we'll get we'll get where we're trying to go <laughs> all right well thanks for joining today scooter and with that we'll call it episode number 18 of the tesla q podcast thanks for joining bye-bye everybody bye